Barbara Reed's unique plasticine illustrations have won her international acclaim. She's the winner of numerous awards, including the 1997 Governor General's Award for Children's Illustration, the UNICEF Ezra Jack Keats International Award, the Ruth Schwartz Award, two Amelia Francis Howard Gibbon Awards, and the IODE Toronto Chapter Award. Barbara lives in Toronto with her family. Welcome to the Bibliophile. <laughs> That's quite a, quite a list of awards. <laughs> they, they like to use a lot of names. <laughs> yes, yeah, well, they've got to get the plug in for the people that put the money into it, I guess. Right? That's part of their legacy. But congratulations on all these awards. Oh, thank you. Uh, why do you get them all? I, I don't know, I, I, but I like it. You like getting the awards? It makes a big difference. It, it shouldn't, but it, it does. Yeah. It, Makes, uh, kids really like stickers, which I'm learning now. You have a sticker on your book. It's funny, you know, I interviewed uh, some grade four kids who constructed and written their own books just about a month ago. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what they did. They put little stickers, little gold stickers on their book covers to, to indicate that they were award-winning books. <laughs> we made a bunch of fake ones up one day when we were doodling about, you know, this, it was a really small print, it would say this book didn't, and then win would be really big, and then award was small, we had all kinds of bogus stickers we thought we could put on. We meaning? I think it was me and a bunch of illustrators <laughs> on a bitter day. <laughs> so you illustrate together, do you? Uh, no, but I'm friends with others. A, a group of illustrators. Okay. Well, this is the... Uh, this interview really is, is part of the mission, our mission to, to talk to uh, people in every single conceivable role as it pertains to the book. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm very pleased to, to welcome you uh, as an award-winning illustrator and author. Perhaps you could talk to me about what it is that you do that attracts these awards. Why are you so good at it? What makes a good illustrator? When I'm making a book, I look at other award-winning books, and I, I see what it is. It's a book that's going to be around for 20 years. That's why I like making books compared to advertising. I have the luxury of time to really think the project through, and with luck, it'll be around for years and years. I'm just meeting, now it's like somewhat depressing, but when I meet student teachers, they read my first book, The New Baby Calf, when they were little kids. And so it, to have that second go-round... So you've been at this for a few years. Yeah, right? I'm really old. <laughs> to create, like Madeline or, uh, you know, some icon like that or do a Maureen Sendak. That's what I want. And I want it to be something that almost anyone can get. And it can be a really specific story or it can be something really general. But th that thing that sticks around that a child will go back and look at over and over. When I was little, I didn't own books. It wasn't like now. But we went to the library and I would just get stacks and stacks. And there were a couple books around the house, like ancient. My parents even had some boys' own annuals that had come over from England or something. And I read them a million times and just absorbed it and books I liked I read a hundred times, so yeah. that would be the goal, to make that kind of book. Okay, that's the goal. You've achieved it. How did you achieve it? You achieved it in the sense that you've won many awards that validate what you do. So 
what is it that you do that's so good? How do you do it? If I knew, I'd, I'd, I'd be selling more. <laughs> but you, but I know you've got, you are at a pinnacle, though. I don't know that you can get much better than, than winning all these awards, right? I mean, you can sell more books, but I don't, you know, you've won some of the top awards that are around. What's really nice is that children are looking at the books. That's the thing, because sometimes awards are chosen by adults, and they aren't very meaningful. Like, there are a lot of award-winning books that are out of print or, you know, on the not-touched shelf in the library. So it's sort of a mixed thing. And then some books win awards and people are actually reading them. I think because of the medium, that's a big plus for me. Kids look at it, they understand it, they know how to make the pictures. Sometimes for a child to look at a beautiful painting, it's a mystery to them. It's magical how it was created. But they can look at a piece of clay and go, oh, she rolled the ball and squished it. Yeah, the medium is one that they're familiar with and that they love. And they send me stuff. Like so many schools and kids on their own make pictures with plasticine. And they think of things I've never thought of. And it's very freeing because it's such a silly medium. You don't care if it doesn't turn out. You you put your magic marker or paint on the page. It's done. It's really hard to fix. But the plasticine, you just keep pushing it around and it's ridiculous so nobody takes it very seriously <laughs> so you're right away you're loosened up and you're just having fun and it's slow it doesn't dry and for those kids that really like to do things you can do it by the hour it's just the most wonderful medium so I think that's a huge thing I mean if I could have worked in, pl in ice cream I would have but <laughs> well they would have eaten it all up and it would have disappeared yeah yeah I'm looking at this beautiful book of yours called Have You Seen Birds by Scholastic and uh, brought me to, to Barbara Reed. One of the things that I just love about this book is the, the whole variety of different things, but, but one of them is the just the delightful uh, eyes that you do on these birds, and they're so expressive. It sort of goes against the medium in a way, because past seeing it, you think it's a bit more cumbersome, but you've been able to capture very nice little detail. Eyes are really important. That's that's what we look at. I almost didn't do Have You Seen Birds in Plasticine because it was early and I was still doing other medium. But there's something about the clay that simplifies and makes you look at things differently. It's, it's similar to collage. Because it's made of something unusual, you tend to look at it more carefully, and, it, and it's, it's somehow funnier. When I tried to do the birds as paintings, it became looked like a textbook, and it was really boring. Isn't that interesting? There is, of course, a slight three-dimensional element to it, which, again, I suppose makes it more playful, perhaps. There's something, like there's certain things I love to do, like making a lace curtain out of plasticine. It's so bizarre that, that I, it, I think if I figure out why it's funny, then it, it'll cease to be funny, so I don't like to think too hard. But, you know, when I got to do a chenille a bedspread in uh, the Golden Goose, it was like, yes! Because there's something just I find hilarious about plasticine chenille. <laughs> We're looking at the beach scene here with, these, with the water coming in and all these lovely little white bubble bubbles. It looks like a string of popcorn, but it's also so lively, fun. The way you build the plasticine picture, 
you can put light on dark, you can do all kinds of things with it, and it's really made for detail. It's hard to finish a picture because you can just keep adding. And it looks like nothing for the first few days, and then the sparkle, the dot on the, the highlight on the eye, or just the texture of the sand, it, all of a sudden it just comes to light. And you have the chance to go back on a book. I work it consecutively through the book, but I can look back at an early piece and realize I can insert something that will become a joke by the end of the book. So there's, it's very flexible in that way to just add a final detail that thing makes it funny or makes it sad or whatever. Now, of course, uh, you can't stick the plasticine in the book, so you've got someone photographing it, and you kind of a rather funny line about Now, is it your husband that does the photography? Yeah, Ian Chrysler, and he's a photographer in his own business, but uh, we've been around a long, long time. He's been shooting my stuff from the beginning, and it's terrific. For one thing, it's cumbersome when we finish 35 pieces of plasticine art. Uh, to take it to a studio would just be a nightmare. And it, it's terrifying until it's photographed because if something drops on it or it bends or something, it's really scary. So we can do it at home. But also as I'm working, I know I want this piece to be scary. You know, can you light it such and such a way? And I can move my desk lamp around because just as you would move a flashlight around your face, you can make yourself look like a scary person if you hold it under your chin. Or yeah. Uh, you look like you're being interrogated if you hold it straight down on your head. It's the same with these. That the light tells a lot of the story. So it's great working with Ian. It takes uh, two or three days to shoot the whole book. Chiaroscuro, chiaroscuro, the you know, Renaissance art, you know, the use of light is so significant mm -hmm. and important. And I guess it's the same for you too. Yeah, it's uh, well, a lot of the emotion comes from light. Yeah. Were you a, like a plasticine addict when you were Plato addict when you were a little kid, and did you really sort of obsess on it and then go <laughs> away from it and then come back to it, or were you always have you always been into it? I would say it was a, more drawing, but I played with plasticine from a very early age, and hours and hours, and you know. The author said, it's a sickly child. And <laughs> I was homesick from school, I would get the package of plasticine and go at it. And then I'd pretend to be sick so that I wouldn't have to go to school and I could play with plasticine and draw. And I uh, just, just kept on doing it. I, I think plasticine I sort of left when I was pretty young and then got into the drawing. Uh, and then it, it came back as sort of a joke in art school. But I did all my school projects, either drawing or plasticine, anything I'd do to avoid the boring stuff. I would make a model or... Boy, what do you mean the boring stuff? Writing it down. <laughs> I, like, I would go for the visual presentation always. Yeah, now that's an interesting point because as I understand it, particularly when you're starting out, publishers are very reluctant to accept both the illustration and the text from the same person. Were you able to start off as a person that wrote the text and did the illustrations together, or did you sort of have to start off as an illustrator and then, because once you become established, then they accepted the fact that uh, you were an author as well, and you said, no, I'm not giving you your illustrations unless I do the text as well, or how did that evolve? Very differently. I considered myself an illustrator. Uh, growing up, I wanted to be a writer until I went to a career day in high school, and the guys from the art college had ponytails, 
So I went to art college. <laughs> this is like really appealing. Yeah. And and I drew all you, the you time. Have, you have a lovely pulley. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right yeah, yeah. I wrote, but only when it was assigned, but I drew all the time. So it seemed logical. So I was completely committed to being an illustrator. And I really wanted to illustrate for children. And they said, there's no market. You know, you'll die. You can't do it. But it, it worked out all right. And I was quite rude about, I, and I look at illustrators all the time. And I used to be a bit rude about the illustrators that started writing because I said, you know, writing is a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. And they think they can write, but it's just because they're a big name illustrator and the story sucks. And I was really arrogant and rude about it. And then people at Scholastic said, well, why don't you? Write something. Wait a minute. No, no. They would suggest that you didn't. Yeah, they they felt that okay. you know it would be fine, and and then other illustrators. Now you know. Now I'm, I know less and less the older I get, and I talk with them, and they said, you know, as an illustrator, you're already a storyteller. Yeah. You know the form of the book inside out. You understand it. So slowly, and I'm extremely nervous about the writing. But, but I started out with the two by two. So the story was there. It was Noah's Ark. Yes. And I put it on top of a song. That's a pretty well-known story. Yeah, yeah. So it was working with God, and it <laughs> was easy. And uh, then, and I did an instructional book. I did a how-to, fun with modeling clay, which helped organize thoughts. And I took a writing class, and that's when I started to work on the the, the book, The Party. During the class, and, and that's the one that won the Governor General's Award, mm -hmm. and and that was you illustrated and wrote that. Yeah. So you don't have to share the credit at all. No, no, and it, it is nice. Although I really, I still would like to do both because working with an author makes you do things you wouldn't have thought of mm. otherwise. And I'm less confident about the writing. So what comes first then? Is it uh, you get these pictures in your head, or do you get a little story popping in your head, or and they riff off each other, or what? What's, what's the actual uh, intellectual creative uh, process? I think it's the story. The Subway Mouse was, actually, I think it was a, an assignment in writing class about something we'd observed. And I'd seen, I've been watching mice in the subway for a really long time. So then I, you know, I just started, I wanted to get a mouse out of the subway because it, it was just not a nice place to live. Yeah, it's a lovely story. It really is. Uh, and it, it, it illustrates, too, what you're saying, I think, about the power of the, of the lighting and the photography. There's some nice, interesting, dark, grubby-looking subways and tracks. These tracks are particularly effective, I think, the way you've got the shiny rails and the, the concrete. screens for plasticine. It was fun. And usually I have to keep the work super clean, but for this we were brushing dirt on it. It was really liberating. It's creams for plasticine. Well, just the concrete and the smeariness and the texture. And, and mice work really well. Dirt is great with plasticine. But other things, like snow is wonderful to be in plasticine, too. Why is that? Texture? Again? Because of the texture and the shadows. You can put footprints in it and blop it on, and, and the shadows describe it really nicely. I, one day I'd like to do something completely like all white and just work with the this story called The Subway Mouse by Barbara Reed, published by Scholastic. Again, we've got a bit of a journey going on here, a quest, <laughs> moving out of rather dank and dark and an unpleasant uh, life into 
of rebirth. <laughs> and then there's a quite an, actually it's quite abrupt, I think, the way that once he, the little mouse has met, Nib has met Lola, yes. then they decide that they're both going to get out of the subway and then they finally hit the big, nasty, dangerous, but rather lovely, paradisical world. And then bang, the next page they got kids. Well, you know, mice. <laughs> mice, yes. Rabbits, mice. But uh, I wanted, it, it, well, it needed to end. And, <laughs> but I, I really like the circle. Uh, and, yeah. and I just wanted, you know, and, and their children, of course, they're going to put on black leather jackets and move back into the subway. Uh, they'll hate the outdoors. But I like the idea that our stories are, are what we are. Because it, it, actually, Nib and Lola's home is not that different than the subway. It's, again, it's a whole heap of mice mm -hmm. um, doing what they do. Yeah, so they got sunflower seeds. It's fresh. a better diet. Better diet, yeah. yeah better, better air. Yeah, but look what you've done with this. It's absolutely gorgeous. Now, this Nib or Lola here. That's, that's Lola. With the flowers. But look what you've done with her eyes. I mean, you make them look so three-dimensional, and yet it's plastic. That's the, the, that's the incredible thing. It's, you, how do you make plastic shiny like that? Oh, there's, some, there's a little bit of cheating. There's a little um, oh, you cheating. Uh, glaze painted on. Because the plasticine is, is quite matte, so mm -hmm. anything silver or gold, I'll touch up with a little acrylic paint to do that. And uh, eyes, I, I add a little bit of shine. So it's just a clear glaze on top. With, with, with the books that you're illustrating and, and writing, do you have a sort of a core mission, uh, a message that you really want children to take away with them? after they've enjoyed your books? I think what I put in the books, that what comes out, I've, I've tried to do, like I like quite dark things, my personal taste, but that's not what comes out of me. When I love something, I want people to look at it. I love the dirty, grimy subway, and I love animals, and I, but I feel the outdoors is the place to be. So if I love it, then I'm passionate enough to work on it for a year, because it so I choose stories that have something for me that I'm not going to be bored with and something, I, I just adore it. So I do the best I can to draw the attention to people that I think are important, which are, are children. Like when you, when you have a little baby, right away you drag them around and expose them to everything you loved as a child, whether they like it or not. <laughs> and it's like falling in love. Like you, you, know, you want to show that person everything, you everything that is important to you. Yeah. Uh, you Pouring in, so or if you're, or your, your, every, your every thought, all the thoughts that come into your, mm -hmm. or the things that you see. Yeah. You, it's, it's as if you, uh, it's not enough if you see them on your own. You, you really want to share it with them. Yeah, it's not, it's like a joke. It's not funny until you've told it to the person, the next person. You, you have to. So this is something that grips you then. I think so. I, I think about books for a, a really long time. Um, the one I, that I just finished it. Fox walked alone. It's another take on the two by two, but things, animals are just wise. You know, and everything I go and hear somehow relates. It, when we found out about the tsunami that a number of animals weren't killed, that they somehow avoided it, it was, I, I knew it, I knew it. And I heard um, Canuck speak, the man who did um, the movie The Fast Runner. 
And, and he talked about the, the polar bears know what's happening about global warning, warming. Warning. You know, they've moved. And then he looked at the audience and said, you're going to move too. <laughs> and and it, it's so, everything just kind of dovetails. And I, I'm very upset by war, and I have no solutions at all. But, but it seems to me there's a, there's a, sorry to interrupt, but there's a, the books of years that I have read through, there's a sense of solution or the way, the way of facing war is in community, is, is, uh, is for the fox to take care of the dove. You know, that, that we're all sort of, we're all in this together. We're all part of the same consciousness, if you will. Or, uh, yeah. In, in horrible, horrible times, some of us are able to drop our differences and get it together. Like all those animals in the ark, you know, for whatever reason, got along because they had to. There's a gorgeous book out now called Owen and Emze about a tortoise and a baby hippo that bonded after the tsunami. This was in Thailand. Yeah, yeah. And it's really important that there's hope, and especially writing for children. I mean, if I really think about the world, I'd do that's just too horrible. But if children start loving the earth and understanding nature and living with nature and understanding that there are differences, if that's there, then, then we have some hope. Yeah, it's, I think what's really good about what you're doing, at least what I admire, is that, is that you're not painting this lovely fake par- paradise. You're showing a grim reality. You're showing life as, uh, as, a, as the joyful sorrow that it really is, mm-hmm. and painting that uh, or plasticining it <laughs> for our kids so that they, they can accept that it's not that nice out there, but there's lots of nice things to go along with the bad stuff. Yes, I mean, there's so many, I go to schools and there's children that a month ago have been living in a war zone. They understand things that I, I might never understand. But, you know, it's, I don't like it to be super heavy. You know, on the other hand, you see kids that have experienced all that and they're killing themselves laughing over something funny. That's the other thing that's really great. You know, if you go to sick children's hospital, there are kids going through horrible things, but they're still kids and they just carry on. So that's, that's, it's a much more hopeful audience to be working with than adults. <laughs> There's still hope. I'm looking here at page 21 of The Subway Mouse by Barbara Reed. And uh, I just love it. There's about, there's four smallish illustrations at the bottom of, of the page, again, uh, showing this lovely nib mouse in all sorts of different degrees of happiness and pride and you're capturing so many feelings very powerfully with, with this medium. How on earth do you do that? I, I've been doing this since I was small, really. I always liked making pictures that people could read, that they could look at and understand what I was trying to say. Without the words? Yes. It, it just That's just how I communicate. And I like that's what I find difficult about writing. Once you've said the words, they're quite specific. But with the picture, you, you're using symbols and colors, but the observer has to interpret it. Mm-hmm. They have to get it. So you do you give them as much as you can, but it's still a bit open. You're not actually committing yourself. It's nice that way, isn't it? I mean, words perhaps nail meanings down a bit, to, a bit more aggressively uh, than, than illustrations do. So would you say that that is one of the... Um, 
hallmarks of great illustration is, is that they give uh, give you all as much as they can when it comes to conveying emotion or what I'm, what am I getting at? I mean, I guess I'm trying to say I'm trying to get to what it is that that makes great illustration in books for kids. Uh, life, it, they have to be alive. You see some beautiful illustrations and they're coffee table books, but they're absolutely dead. And you see some illustrations by the British illustrator Quentin Blake, who did a lot of Roald Dahl books. Three squiggles, and he has a tortoise. And you know the tortoise is depressed. You know the tortoise is going through complicated things with a dot and a line. It's alive. The style doesn't matter. It, it's that ability, and, and it's left a little open-ended, so the reader can become that character. And I think that's why children read uh, Harry Potter, all those things, or the Narnia books. When I read them, I was there. And, and so there was room for me to be in the story. Um, Marie Louise Gay is, I think, top illustrator in Canada now. And, uh, you know, just a little line, an expression on her children's bodies. You're there. Uh, so it's somehow that it's alive. You know, those, you know what the character's about to do or what they just did. It, it's almost animated, but it's taking a freeze frame, so it's not giving it all to you the way maybe a film does. Yeah, and, it, and it's open. But it gives you some, it gives you some room, as you said. I mean, often uh, that's one of the criticisms of Disney is that it, it, it doesn't provide you with any room to use your own imagination because they're doing everything for you. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, you're providing uh, some room for the child's imagination to play and to relate to and to assume the role. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think the, the child wants to be, they want to go into the world that that book is. That's, that's when it's working. And, and so you have that in mind while you're doing the illustration? I guess not consciously. I'm just hope I'm trying to have you know, as much fun as possible, trying to do as many, pull any trick I can to make a kid pick up the book and look hard at the picture. Well, I love the, and this is very clever, it's the two mice, uh, Lola and Nib, in Subway Mouse. They're having a little snack, and <laughs> they've grabbed this messed up little Reese's peanut chocolate, whatever they are, and they're licking it. And uh, But you've left the Reese's, of course, in there. Oh, now, did I you get product placement? Did you get paid? No, no, and I kept asking, is this okay? And I, I tore all the wrappers a lot to so that I wouldn't be in trouble. But I, I used real wrappers for the book because making them a plasticine would just be too much labor to be worth it. And I needed it to look like real garbage, so I, I bought a lot of candy and uh, photocopied the labels to get them to the size that was right and then pencil crayoned them. To did you throw all the candy away or did you eat it? No, I had to eat some. Yeah, I had to, It was really embarrassing because I work on the third floor of our house and uh, play with plasticine all day. and. That one day, my younger daughter Tara came home with a 900-pound knapsack, lugged it to the third floor, and threw it down. And I'm there with my mouth full of candy <laughs> and plasticine. And she was like, "I'm the kid. This is so wrong." <laughs> so it's not fair. And she caught. <laughs> yeah, that's why you're you're so good at what you do, is it? Because you you are being a kid. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I you're doing the same thing that the kids who read this. They, they, prob they probably love to 
to, to make this stuff just like you are. Well, and they do. That's the, that's the amazing part. The art that I see kids doing is phenomenal. How do you mean? They send you stuff? Or what yeah. Often they're doing it in school. Like a class will make an entire book. Um, I get a lot of feedback from teachers because it's often the kids that maybe are struggling in other areas. They take off with plasticine. As opposed to a paint or drawing? I, I think sometimes, but also with, with paint and drawing. But sometimes, I mean, school, there's so much pressure and there's no time. When they stop and do a plasticine project, they actually work on it for quite a while because it's a bit slow. And I think it gives children the time mm. to really complete something and to think about what they're doing. Again, you look at the whole media generation and the mm -hmm. attention spans and all that kind of stuff. This demands uh, the time be spent on it. You sit with a group. It's nice because usually it's like five or six kids in a circle with the clay in the middle, so they're sharing. And the conversations are it's like being on a quilting bee or something because they're, they're chatting while they're doing it, and they look at each other's work, and they, the pictures never look the same, but they are learning from each other and taking ideas, and it's really great just listening to the, the babble of, of the kids as they're working and, and what they're trying to achieve. And there's a few minutes where they're resistant because it's slow, and then, then it's dead quiet. Well, it's do, you, now, do you go in and teach them? Is that part of why, why you in, in contact with these kids? Or? I don't do it very often because it, it takes me so long to make books that I hide out. And I find it really high energy. But it's it, I, I like doing it now and then. Generally, they don't need me to, to teach them. I mean, no. you show them the picture, they run off and they do it. Yeah. The adults think they need to be taught. I just want to get back to the, the life in the pictures again, and uh, why is it that some illustrators can do this and others can't? Can you, can you identify, you've mentioned a couple of well-known illustrators that you admire, mm -hmm. um, what are the characteristics of their work that set them apart, uh, that you've said that they make the illustrations come alive, is there more that you can say on that? I, I think that they must just be extremely passionate about what they're communicating. It's, it's communicating. So whether it's your story or someone else's story, you are really passionate about that story, really committed to that character. I mean, when you're finished, you have to step back and deflate the ego, but when you're in the project, you have to be so committed and, and just, it's everything in the world. And, and that's what I see in the, the books that really move me. It's so basically a process. It's the great illustrators are the ones that you think you can tell that they're really passionate about what they're doing, and that they—it's in the process, it's in the doing, the acting, rather than worrying about the result. That's a very sort of Oriental way of putting it. But it, it seems to me that this is what you pick up on from authors, that, uh, illustrators that you really admire. Yeah, I think the, uh, the technique can be taught and it can be improved, but they have to have that emotion. It's the same with singers. You know, they can be technically perfect, but it's the ones that share the emotion. I mean, that's what we, that's what we want. Whether the emotion is laughing or crying, it's taken me a really long time to figure out what the point of most books is, and I think that it somehow connects to some kind of emotion. And it could be a deep or a shallow one, but it's the emotion. The accurate conveyance of an emotion. That's, I, I think so.
You mentioned a few uh, illustrators. Uh, any others that uh, hold a special place in your heart? Uh, growing up, I really loved the line drawings that Pauline Baines did in the Narnia books. Um, just she just got it, and because they were black and white drawings, those are the books I liked as a as a kid. Because again, they're loose enough, and they picture the person, but you put the color in yourself. I liked. Uh, but Shepard. Yeah, and Shepard. Uh, really keen on. And I looked at Beatrix Potter by the hour. And then in the teenage years, I was really into Arthur Rackham and uh, N.C. Wyeth. Nowadays, I, I liked early a lot of early work by David Shannon. He's American. Um, there's, uh, there's tons. A lot in Canada now. Stefan Poulin. Any advice for a young up-and-coming illustrator? You can't listen too hard to people talking about the market and that kind of thing because there's no point. You, you have to love it. Uh, it's sad, but it's really tough to make it your sole income. That's crazy. But there's, if you really are passionate about illustrating children's books, it, it'll follow, I find. Um, and there's lots of other things you can do, you know, textbooks, Mm -hmm. Things like that to pay the bills. Yeah, yeah. to pay the bills, but um, you know, take it really seriously and and love it and and get into it. Like look at the other books that are out there. But usually, you're already doing that if you really care. I'm often surprised when people come up saying, oh, "I had a children's book and they've never looked at one." Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're thinking. Maybe so many of these people are just looking at the result and not really understanding that if they don't absolutely adore and love the process, then they should be doing something else. Well, and the other thing is often they've just had their first child. They're falling in love with their child and re-falling in love with books that, that they loved, and they want to do that for their child. And everyone makes up stories that their own child adores, and, and it can be quite misleading because it may be outside of that what the child adores is the parent as much as the story, you know. <laughs> the big world doesn't love you so much. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of them crash and burn after that. But, and, and so it, that's, it's born of, you know, love and desire to make this beautiful thing, but the long-term commitment might not, might not be there once the kids sick. Grow up. Yeah. 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 It's funny, it's, it's just in closing, uh, uh, we're at the Book Expo in uh, Toronto. You talked at the breakfast, and I, I walked in a little bit late to a room full of women, and that was my take. seems that perhaps exactly what you're saying, that the motivation often is the mother's motivation to please and occupy and challenge their children. Sure, that's the motivation of the father, but I uh, didn't see too many men in the room there. No, no, a lot of the business, uh, it's not the case. It, on the creator side, there, there are more men, but when it comes to educators for young children and booksellers, it tends to be. Um, well, so it's about what fifty-fifty then in terms of uh, illustrators for children's books, men and women. I, I think there's there's quite a few, and when I go to schools, it's often it's the boys that are drawing. You know, if you say, oh, you know, who's the artist in the class, or you don't ask if they won't ever tell you, especially the artist. But it's 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 often the boys that are the drawers, you know, but it's it somehow they lose it when they're older because it's not taken seriously as a career kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, hopefully they even up. 
Well, uh, Barbara Reed, uh, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts on uh, illustration, book illustration. And um, the name of your latest book is uh, Fox Walked Alone. And that's published by Scholastic. Yes. In Canada and uh, around the world. Uh, so far in Canada. You're looking for rights to be picked up by. Yes. Yeah. Others around the world. That that usually happens next. It, and it, but it will be in French as well. Well, best of luck with this book, and thank you again for sharing your thoughts with us. Well, thank you very much.